What's good, everybody? Um, it's been a couple days. Um, I, I know my team's down right now, 0-1, but breakdown on that is coming very, very soon. But welcome back to the Gifted Hoops podcast. My name is Gifted, and we're back today to talk about the 76ers and the Celtics series so far. I'm joined here by some passionate but very logical fans for the Boston Celtics and also the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, I'm joined here first by my co-host of The Locker Room. Shout out to my guy, Derek. He also has his podcast that he's bringing back called Not Just Dribble. But Derek, feel free to introduce yourself to the people. Hey, what's up? Uh, Good to be back, Gifted. Uh, We just recently did an episode on Not Just Dribble, as you just mentioned, talking about the Sixers and talking about the previous series your team had with Golden State and Sacramento. That was a lot of fun. Uh, Still working on putting that out, hopefully this evening. Uh, but yeah, looking forward to talk about my team. I really wish we could have just done game one and I didn't have game two to talk about as well. But hey, we will talk about both. Uh, but yeah, appreciate being here. Yeah, and I'm joined here today by my second guest. Uh, shout out to Kiana, a great Celtics fan, passionate, very hard on her team, very logical. Kiana, feel free to introduce yourself to the people. Hi, my name is Kiana Matthews. Um, I'm not a podcaster, so I don't have anything like that to plug. I'm just a a regular old diehard Celtics fan. Very excited to discuss both of the games, both of them. <laughs> I love how she rubbed yeah. in both of them yeah. for you, Dan. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, right now in the 2023 playoffs, the Celtics are matched up with the Sixers um I think coming in this was a series that people overwhelmingly just had Boston outright winning um I do think for the Sixers this is a very important playoffs because a if they lose they will not beat the second round allegations number one but two um the fact that the Bucks who were a team that a lot of people said was in the same tier as Boston split from everyone else in the east have lost so Whoever comes out of this series, ideally, is in a great position to actually advance to the finals. But so far, um, the Sixers stole home court advantage. They came in game one. James Harden dialed the clock back 45-point performance. I called Derek at the beginning of that game, and I told him, listen, Derek, James Harden can get you one. He was pessimistic. He shrugged it off. He's only five for six. Finishes the game with 45 points with an epic Game one dagger on Al Horford. Um, I would love to hear your guys' reaction to that game first before we get to game two. Triggered to the Trey Young Childs. Very triggered. Oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> You've already gone through it once. Uh, yeah. I mean, I wasn't triggered. I, I was, I think, still just shocked. Every shot James was knocking down, I was in utter shock. Uh, I, I think he might have hit 10 middies in, in game one, which was just a fantastic sight to see yeah he was stellar absolutely stellar uh i have to eat my words i was absolutely pessimistic pessimistic on james harden all season and that includes the playoffs but game one he showed out and that's really the reason why this series is 1-1 with Embiid out you of course it's everything kind of falls on harden um you would help maxi of course would give you a little something but mainly you're looking at harden and um, we didn't have an answer for him <laughs> throughout that whole entire game. And he literally, from tip-off to the fourth, made bucket after bucket after bucket. And just when we thought we had a little bit of momentum, nope, he came down the court and scored another bucket. Um, and so as a Celtics fan, it was like just horrible to watch. As a basketball fan, it was phenomenal to watch. Um, and at the end, my, I love Al, but he just got cooked after getting cooked all game to get cooked on the last shot like that was just, it was just awful. <laughs> but shout out to Harden. He earned it. I gotta say, man, like that, that game as a fan watching it was crazy because Boston was on absolute fire in that first half. I mean, 74% from the field. Every shot was literally going in, but at the same time, for De'Anthony Melton to come through with five humongous threes, and they just kept leaving him wide open, and he didn't hesitate for a minute. He, he took the ball, grabbed his shot, immediately made his shots. James Harding getting it going early. 
with Tyrese Maxey kind of struggling, like for them to have still been in the game really spoke to, well, you know, in my opinion, Boston taking their foot off of the gas defensively. I think game one was really about the Celtic defense, but I feel like it was more so them saying, Embiid's not playing, we can play with our food. And that's kind of what led to the game one. Now they did come back for game two, which did, we got to get to that too. That did happen, mm -hmm. right? But but just the poise of the Sixers to come in and just play as hard as they can. I mean, Paul Reed coming in down the stretch with four big free throws to help them clinch the game. It was high level. I mean, basketball. they were all like nothing but net. Like they were just. <laughs> like, it was like he was like a twenty year vet. Like he just knocked them down with all the confidence in the world. He was phenomenal game one for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think Anthony Melton, like to your point, gifted. I mean, he was just such an underrated pickup uh, for a late first round pick. It was just very opportunistic, and I mean, I think he's been sensational. D'Anthony Melton would be, you know, like an all-defensive fourth team if that thing existed. Uh, you know, not quite as good as, you know, maybe some Celtic players. But, uh, no, really, really good perimeter defender. So he's been huge. And, yeah, I mean, the Sixers really weathered a storm in game one. I, I think Harden kind of overshadowed the fact that Boston was, you know, 58% from the field. Executed their game plan pretty, pretty damn well, uh, I, I think, offensively. I just think defensively, which we can still talk about because I think that's still relative to game two, despite the Sixers building houses in Boston. Uh, I think it's still important to talk about because as much as I love the Celtics team this year from afar, you know, not actually loving it, but appreciating <laughs> them. Uh, I think their defense is definitely different under Missoula as opposed to Yudoka. So I'm curious, Keanu, your thoughts kind of on that. Like, what are you the changes you may have seen? in the regular season and then so far in the playoffs through, you know, a round and a half. Yeah, well, to just back up a little bit with what Gifted was saying, the game one was a game that I've seen multiple times throughout the regular season. It happened when we played the Jazz. It happened when we played the Wizards with no Bradley Beal and no Kuz. It happened when we played the Rockets. It happened when we played... Okay, see, it happened. Like, I mean, I could keep going. <laughs> um, it's a, the, a thing that I've seen time and time again where um, teams that have lesser talent are missing their star player. Um, we tend to just get into shootouts with them and think that after you let role players get confidence, role players and stars get into rhythm for three quarters, you think in the fourth quarter you can just turn on defense and shut the water off and... Um, you would think after doing it multiple times during the regular season, during the playoffs, they would learn. Um, they didn't. They did it in the Hawks series, and then they did it game one. Um, so they consistently, at, at this point, I have to believe what they've shown me. And they've shown me that when they have the opportunity to really, like, just go for the kill, it's a letdown every time. And they put themselves in situations to where that next game, is a must win or you know you have to really dig deep and go all out because they needed to win game two and they did um but that's just been frustrating as a fan all year to watch um the defense honestly and truly that was the best defense we played all playoff since game two um games three four five six against the hawks it was they weren't playing defense i, I mean during the stretch down game six, they made stops and we were able to pull out a close win. But as far as consistent defense throughout the whole series, it was not there. I mean, uh, the shooters for the Hawks were getting whatever they wanted against us. We've honestly had a, a pretty tough time defending the three all year, to be honest. Um, I don't know why there is such a drastic difference. The defense has been good. If you look at the numbers, it's... I think we ended top two or top three this year. Um, the defensive numbers in the playoffs, I think we're like out of the 16 teams that started, I think we're like 14 or 15th. It's like really bad. But um, it's it's an effort thing. It's there. Like, um, I forgot who we played before we play the Bucks, but then we play the Bucks, and you're like, wow, like they can actually play defense. The defense between game one and game two of the series was night and day. It's 
they just feel like they can relax and and they can't. Um, our pick and roll defense has been pretty bad this whole year um, with like quick guards that's killed us. So um, for me, it's, it's the talent is still there. We still have all the defensive players. Um, we've, you know, we have Rob this playoff and he's healthy, but it's just an effort thing for me. And it's, I mean, it's annoying, but it's, to me, it's mainly an effort thing. They need to clean it up if they want to actually make a push. <laughs> Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, because I think if you end up facing the Heat next series, I think that would be nasty uh, on multiple fronts. I, I want to ask about Rob Will real quick, Kiana, because I was told from some Celtic fans that the reason he's just not he's just not starting is because of health. So, obviously, the injury he got last playoff Who run. Look, it's Twitter, so I don't expect, like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, it, it's not verified sources. Um, but I'm curious to Rob Will's health and really like, I was going to say agility is really my main question, especially defensively, but his overall production, I know he had a procedure that kind of could at least shorten his career long-term down, long-term down the line. Um, so we could come back last year, which is, you know, a a really tough decision, but understandable, especially given the, like the situation. How do you feel Rob Will has been this season, the games he's played and, you know, in this small sample we have, like how, how is he as, you know, the, the backup five or sometimes the five next to Horford? Yeah. I mean, I think health wise, from what I know from just, and I don't have a contact, but just from listening to the quotes and him speaking and Missoula speaking, I think health wise, he's fine. They did a good job when he came back. Um, he didn't play back-to-backs. Um, they gave him a couple extra days here to rest. Um, and they kept his minutes relatively low. I think he was playing like 20 minutes a game. Towards the end of the season, they ramped him up to try to get him to the 30-minute like playoff you know, numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, but he hasn't been playing a lot. I was very frustrated game one. He didn't really play a lot. Um, there have been moments in the Hawks series where I'm like, wow, like, Where's Rob? Um, was it game? Yeah, I went to game four. Game four in the Hawks series, he was very important. The rebounding that he did was very, very important because a rebound is a big issue for us. Um, and I don't know. I, I think it's really just Joe and his lineups. I, he likes the lineups where we can go five out and space to four. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's not just from what I've seen, he's not really a big fan of the double big lineup. Like, we'll get it for, like, a little bit, and then he'll take it away from us. And, like, we're all, like, we want to see Rob and Al, or we want to see um, Grant and Rob, or we want to see two bigs out there. Um, but I think the first game, he didn't really play that much. I think he was okay. Um, I think the second game, his impact was felt a little bit more. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think game one, especially without Embiid, we were able to just throw it up. He had a, a lot of lobs. Of course, he's a lob threat. Um, but I would love to see him play more, to have more of a defensive impact. Because I think a lot of people are saying, well, what's the difference between the defense this year and last year? Well, they could play more aggressive when Rob is back there cleaning stuff up, right? And this year... You know, Al has been great for moments, but if, you know, if you get past the perimeter and you have old man Al, depending on the matchup, like sometimes that's just cooked. (laughs) It's just like, it's not the same. Like when you put Robin, you can see people are either a scared to go to the, to the rim or he'll get a block or her alter a shot. Um, and I, I honestly just think he's not playing enough. But I think game one was okay. Game two was much better effort. And I'm hoping – and we got to see the double big more in game two. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm hoping that happens more in game three. I also think that if, if I remember correctly, I think that Joe was matching his minutes with uh, when, when, like, Embiid was off the floor um, so that Embiid can't roam off of him. So I think that's another thing. Like Joe's really big on spacing. <laughs> right. So he, he likes it when there's five guys out, which I think we'll also see more grand in the series too because of that. But those are my thoughts. Um, 
I want you to know that I am a huge fan of the double big lineup. And I say that because <laughs> it helps out because now you have Al Horford spacing, right? But now Rob Wilk can be the guy who's the shot blocker and they have more size on the glass as well. Last year, it paid you really good margins by having them. I think this year, the biggest difference is outside of the coaching change, the the emergence of smart and white, you know what I'm saying? Like which guard to, you know, have close out games, I feel like has been kind of in the air. Like smart has been like the trusted guy, but at times his choices down the stretch um, can sometimes have you scratch your head. But this year, white has been just a marvel in terms of his defense and his three point shooting. So to have, you know, Al be the lone big out there sometimes does make sense. But I think fundamentally your defensive ceiling with those two bigs just makes way more sense in my opinion. I would agree. But I think Joe has shown us that he likes the lineup with either Al or either Rob. <laughs> so that's what we're stuck with. <laughs> All right, so Derek, is there anything else that you want to praise about the Sixers from game one before we get into the beat down that was game two? <laughs> uh, you gotta get Paul Reed some love, Derek. Yeah, no, I mean that's true. Uh, honestly, I think, I think Paul was still solid uh, in Game Two as well. I, I think it just got kind of got overshadowed because it was a colossal beatdown, and the Sixers as a team just could not shoot. Uh, but yeah, I mean, in Game One he was huge. I, I think like the Sixers are super excited. I mean, fans included that it looks like Paul Reed could be the backup center for Embiid for the foreseeable future, which is something Philadelphia has been desperate to to find. I mean, we've had to suffer through Greg Monroe minutes in vital playoff situations. Uh, oh, we those already, are bad minutes. I'm sorry. Those are bad I, minutes. I mean, 12 minutes basically cost us a series. Um, so, you know, it, it's hard. To, <laughs> it's hard to relive that. Um, we already went through the Al Horford experience and... I don't know what it is in Boston, if they've got some Holy Grail water or, or what, but he just plays better up north. Um, you know, Durwell, he was not a good fit in Philadelphia. I mean, but here's the thing. I mean, on paper, it's not the best fit in the world, especially when he first got back to Boston. Um, he just started doing everything better. Everything that we wanted Al to do here, Quite he literally couldn't really do. He did better. But, like... <laughs> His shooting improved. I swear he was a better passer once he got back to Boston. I mean, look, I I can give some of it to the system he's put in is better suited for his game. But he's just a better defender in Boston. And it's not like that had to fall off a cliff when he got here, but it sure didn't look pretty. So it was nasty. Uh, But yeah, I I think it was just seeking that backup big. Uh, I, I think Paul Reed is that. He still has at least like four possessions a game where I'm just saying, oh, oh, please, please stop. Please stop. Please stop. Oh, okay, cool. And it's, it's not last game where he did the, um, the behind the back pass. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was great. It was awful until it wasn't (laughs) because it it was screaming turnover the entire time. And then he found that it's like, you know what? Maybe he's onto something. Um, so yeah, Paul is officially out of the mud. And I love that for him. And I think he's he's going to be big this series because, to your point, I, I think Rob Will tends to get the matchup when Reed is in the game. And it's it's going to be an absolute fight for rebounds. Uh, both of them, that's kind of their calling card. If one of them is not successful in that venture, then their respective coach is probably going to pull them. So they both kind of have to duke it out. Uh because Reed is, you know, essentially a non-shooter, which is a shame because I feel like he could be a better spacer than he is right now. But I just think he has to play extra cautious. And Rivers has definitely had like a very short leash. He's been very like willing to pull Reed out, Um, which, yeah, I mean, I guess also kind of leads into rotation, which I I think game two is more evidence of. But the bench actually showed up in game one, you know, especially Melton held it down, but I think guys were just better at rotating, better at making the extra pass. They were talking a bit more. And I think that was kind of like 
you know the the teetering factor in the seesaw uh, on top of Harden being sensational. But yeah, I mean in game two, the the story flipped, and you know aside from the starting five not being good, the bench was horrific. Uh, I think that's what you you typically see. Like we've had games. I mean y'all saw it when we played y'all when. You know, we're down three starters, JB goes down, and then, like, all of a sudden, the the people that are on the bench, like, step up, you know? So right. I think that was kind of like, hate that the Celtics just relaxed. But, like, that's something that I think people could have predicted was that everybody would have banded together and, you know, get went the extra 10% to, like, you know, tr- like, give them a chance to actually get them yep. in. And that's what I did. Right. I mean, I guess just to kind of lead into game two, I mean, there's been so many big, you know, player shifts this season, like Brunson becoming a New York Nick and becoming a bona fide star. That's probably the top of the list for best player acquisition. But Malcolm Brogdon deserves to be in that conversation. <laughs> and in game two, he was exactly what he was like that in game two, man. He, he was like that. <laughs> I mean, he was everything the doctor ordered. I mean, 23 points in 24 minutes uh six rebounds and even though his assist numbers didn't look so like good he was definitely creating opportunities and it was just criminal to see the Celtics get a hold of him for seemingly nothing from the Pacers um it was gross honestly because I was desperate to get a hold of because he's exactly what the Sixers have needed like he is a taller point guard I think he's like six five he's got like a little like weight to him uh but still moves his feet fairly well defensively so like that's and you just have such a luxury because you have white and smart who white i think is all defensive first team this season smart Thank i you. think everybody keeps saying second team and i'm like I he's first team. first team to, to yeah. me he's first team i think it's him and caruso um you know no disrespect to smart i just don't think he was the same he was last year Smart should even make the team Right, and I don't. Matter of fact, I'm not sure if I even have been second team. But like, either way, he, and if he makes it over, why I will be livid. Yeah, that would just go yeah. to show its reputation. Yeah, that would be over bad. people actually seeing the production because White has been overall, I think, the better starter. But you don't fall off very much at all defensively. Uh, and Smart, honestly, for what it's worth, Smart was good on Harden. I think in both games, Harden made I think every single shot on Smart in Game One. But it's not like they weren't contested. Smart was still in the right spot. It just was a matter of he just couldn't stop hard from making the shot. It was just better offense. But you go from white and smart, and then your air quote downgrade is Brogdon, who I think more often than not is like slightly above average as a defender. Like that's just such a luxury to have. And he is routinely coming off the bench. So I just think like that's huge. And he was probably like the the real key player in game two because it was a really you know team effort but i mean should we just open the conversation to before we just i guess shift off of brogdon like we got to have a conversation about jt and jb because i i feel as though celtic fans have been having this for the better part of two years at least a year and some change after the finals i mean Um, i don't engage in that discourse but okay okay Twitter. I mean, I don't, but it, it is for sure a thing. Well, I guess yeah. Before before we discuss that, like, what are your what are your thoughts on on Brogdon? I mean, has he been you know just the gem that I've described him as? I mean, he's phenomenal. I say that we have one of the best guard rotations in the league. We have, like you said, the luxury of I think all three of them can start on a team in the NBA. Personally, that's how I feel. Um, my goal for every game is. All three of them don't have to be great, but I need two out of the three to be great. And I think for game one, we got a good, um, like Derek White was bad. And then we had good Brog moments and we had good smart moments. And then we had bad Brog moments and bad, like it wasn't enough. Mm -hmm. Game three uh, or game two, I mean, all of them really did good. Derek White had a slow first half but he picked it up in the second half so whenever two of the three guards play well it's usually a game that we win um and that did not happen in game one especially down the stretch um but yeah brog has been amazing um he i'm glad he won six men of the year i had to fight with nick fans on the app about that all year long um and 
thankfully he's not a playoff dropper like the other six men of the year candidate. Um, oh wow, oh, good shade because he has a New York stray, a New York stray. Oh, just, just telling y'all what I'm seeing. But, um, he's been great. Um, whenever we need somebody to get downhill, get to the rack, he's there. Um, whenever we need a three, and I, I'm like. And then it goes in. I'm like, oh, that's great. <laughs> um, and his three-point shooting's been great most of the year. There was a point where he couldn't buy a layup, and I was like, rather him to shoot threes than twos. Um, but he's, you know, got back on track, and um, he's just been great with like, um, you know, just controlling the game at points of time when um, Marcus may be a little chaotic, and maybe we're not getting the best white game. Um, I think. He's just been a great asset and shout out to Brad Stevens for um, trading him for Aaron and Malik Fitz and I don't even know, Tyus, whoever else was in trade. <laughs> um, it was a phenomenal, phenomenal pickup and um, I'm happy that he chose to sacrifice and be in our team because he's going to make a world of difference if we can keep going um, deep into the playoffs. So. I think what makes Brogdon so huge, too, is that you somehow have a third guy who's a blend of all styles because he gets to the basket. He can pass well. He can handle pick and rolls. He's a bit quick on his feet and he has good point guard IQ and, and just have multiple IQ players. It's kind of why people have Boston going to the finals and being that, you know, well of a team because sure they might take their foot off the gas sometimes but ultimately the talent like pound for pound i think boston has the most talented roster in the nba it's just the execution of said talent consistently that some people might question but absolute I would agree. Uh, they beat themselves multiple times multiple, multiple times <laughs> Every every time every with time. Kiana, she'd be noting this every time on a timeline. Like, our offense is our defense right now. We got to be better. But I feel it, though, because you see firsthand the talent of your team on a night-in, night-out basis. So, I get it. So what? What's up with the Jays, um, Derek? What's up? Yeah, I mean, look. Gifted and I had this conversation in last year's finals. And... I have stood by the stance that Jason Tatum, especially for like the duration of his career, was the clearly better player among the Jays, and that Brown would be really an excellent Robin to Tatum's Batman, and Brown would give you like really good production, but clearly there was just like a ceiling. But now it just feels like Brown is more often the consistency, so mm -hmm. even when he's not giving you batman type performances tatum is giving you less than robin so like brown to me you know to like go off like the comic book analogy is really like nightwing right now where he's trying to get his independence and it very much feels that way especially from you know the press stuff we had about a month and a half ago you know and of course the houston rumors with coach Udoka and so on and so forth so i just feel as though brown's been stellar that you saw in game one he only had 10 shots uh, was a clean 80%. So they kind of corrected themselves in game two, but then game two got away from Philly so quick that he didn't even need to keep going. And he, it definitely seemed like he could. Uh, and then, of course, Tatum putting up a dud. I know you have said foul trouble was a leading cause, but <laughs> even so, I think it's fair to say Tatum hasn't had, like, the most gorgeous playoffs. Um, I think it was game five. Uh, against Atlanta goes for like 19 on like 8 of 20 which is I think has happened multiple times this playoffs already and in the finals last year especially the entire playoff run all the turnovers all the nasty shots uh, which I think was important for Boston that's why I picked them to win the whole thing this year just from like preseason just they're just the best team now they got the finals experience they know how awful it is and how much it takes to actually get over the hump. That's why I figured they could do it. Um, but I don't know. I mean, Tatum's decision-making, I think, while improved, does still leave me like, can he really be a lead ball handler? Can he really be, you know, late-game decision-maker? I can get a bucket, get to the free-throw line, but also set up my teammates super well. Uh, and I just, I don't know. 
I mean, his team won with his worst game, which, you know, is good for him, but it definitely doesn't paint a prettier picture. Yeah, well, so these are my just overall thoughts as a Celtics fan. Um, I typically don't get into the JT versus JB thing. Um, not a, a Jason Stan. I'm not a Jalen Stan. I'm a Celtics fan. So quite honestly, JT could put up a stat line of three, four, five, being negative twenty five. If we win the game, I don't care. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I think if you're a, trying to evaluate him as a player and rank him, then of course that matters. Um, and I think that if you're trying to say without that guy, um, this, the Celtics can't go far in the playoffs, and I, you know, I guess that matters. Um, but I think yesterday was a testament to the type of team that Brad Stevens built. Um, that in some matchups against some teams, we just need one of the Jays to go off and we can still win if the others show up and contribute what they're supposed to contribute. Um, I think if we're going to compare how they played, I think the Atlanta series, I think JB started off really bad and really slow. And there's this, and I don't want to like, I, I hate doing stuff like this, but I'm, I'm trying to be objective. But there's this notion that JB has just been incredible all playoffs. And I'm like, did y'all watch the first couple of games of the hockey? Yeah. Like, yep. He was not good. Yeah. He was not good at all. I went to game, um, game three, he was okay. I went to game four live. The first half, he was awful. Took off his mask. And then he turned it up, and that was phenomenal. And we needed it. We pulled that out. But um, game four, that second half, is when he started to play well. And I will, I won't take anything away. The um, games one and games two, he was very efficient in the Philly series, and we needed every point in the first game to just make it a, a game. You know, he um, second half didn't really get up that many shots, but he has a, had a lot of turnovers and like at bad times. Like we start the second half and a turnover leads to a fast break point. And then we're trying to get like stay in it. And then another turnover like leads to a fast break point. Like he gets tunnel vision and um, dribbles into traffic. And it's kind of the same thing that we saw last year. So. I don't say that to try to say that JT has been better than him, but he just hasn't this imagination of what J- JB has been this playoff run. I, I like, I, I don't, I'm not seeing what the, what the people are seeing. Um, I think JT has had some pretty, I think he's had like three inefficient games. I think he's had three, like really good games and three, how many games have we played? Six, eight, eight games. Mm-hmm. Um, so, four inefficient games this game or the last game he was inefficient and pretty much like just bad like there are times where he's efficient or inefficient but affects the game in different ways um even though he had the highest plus minus last last game which is crazy out of the whole entire team plus minus <laughs> is such a terrible stat though i, I, I mean like, like yeah like I, it's not to disagree with your overall points but i look at plus minus all the time and it just it makes yeah, so I mean, little sense like jimmy butler i think has like a bottom six plus minus or a bottom uh net rating this playoffs yeah and it's like it's great like let's just throw the stat away i mean like if it works well if you had a bigger sample size of minutes but like four or five games is not really enough to really gauge impact you know i mean and and even then gifted it's like if you have whether like it, it could be any one of your star players, if he's with like three or four bench guys who are not going to like really build leads, they're really just in to just preserve and like stop I mean, a potential right. avalanche. Like then it's never going to look pretty. So I, I plus minus just drives me ab- absolutely nuts because um, I, I feel like it does a horrific job of telling the story. Um, but yeah, no, I think to your point, I just look at I look at Brown. I see that he's averaging 29 on amazing efficiency in the last five games. So that includes Philly in the last three games in Atlanta. And I'm just like, again, I'm not think, saying Brown's I think better. Tatum and Brown are both averaging 26. Yeah. Per, 
the playoffs. But of mm-hmm. course, Brown right. is super more efficient than Tatum. But yeah. Right. So I guess it's just what is I don't want to say what is his ceiling, because I think that is a, that's a question I've been thinking about. I agree with like your point that, you know, as long as you're winning ball games, you don't really care who's better. Um, I just wonder, I think it's it's cliche, but superstars win you championships. Mm-hmm. It's that rule hasn't really been broken. I think that's what gets people is that we have all this talent, but they don't think we have that guy to actually get us through. I right. Yeah. Right. And that's kind of like that's kind of what my thing is. It's just like I, I think Tatum has improved from what that last playoff run was. Mm-hmm. But I'm still like, is he really gonna outplay a Steph Curry, a Jokic? You know, in a theory like a LeBron and AD, like, can you really count on him to be the number one producer in a final series? Yeah, I think what we're seeing from Tatum, especially this year, is that the um, efficiency is still not consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's something that I would hope to see we build upon and gets better over time. But I can't sit here and say and guarantee you that in the finals he's going to put up 28, you know, 10 and 4, 10 and 6, and it's going to be efficient and he's going to be two-way. And I'm not going to say he's going to outplay Steph or AD, who just had a phenomenal game. Like, I cannot guarantee you that. Um, I think what we have is a luxury of two guys that can go off for 60 together not have their best game day and the other guy can be really amazing and that works now is that a recipe for a championship we'll have to find out this year to see if if that is going to cut it or not because like you said usually there's a team that has that guy and I think the consensus around the NBA is that the Celtics don't have that guy they have two guys that are pretty much on the same level that trying to essentially beat the odds and you know, two guys are going to have to outplay um, Steph or two guys are going to have to outplay LeBron or um, Joker, if that's who we, you know, whoever, or Joel Embiid. Um, I know mm-hmm. he's not fully healthy, but I think that that theory will be tested because I, I can't sit here with a straight face given what Tatum has done this year and what he's done so far and say that he's going to give you that stat line with that efficiency. You know, I can say for sure he will affect the game defensively. I can say for sure um, he'll be a a great rebounder. I can say for sure he'll, um, you know, his playmaking has improved. I can say he'll affect the game in other ways, but the efficiency argument and the outdoing argument and the consistently, you know, sometimes he'll get really hot for a half and then the second half may cool off or maybe the fourth quarter, um, may not you know give us enough points and it it may be somebody else that does that that's just how we played all year so so i don't know and if you know if that may be our downfall we'll have to find out this year so that that would be my answer but i think we've done it by committee all year um and i don't really see that changing right now um just to be honest i appreciate that answer a lot because People often like look at like the best player, right? It's flashy, it matters, he's the guy who does X, Y, or Z, but the roster construction behind that player is equally as important because if you don't have a strong roster of players who can make up for that player at their lows or complement that player at their highs, you can't really win. And like year in, year out, we've seen players just have monster you know performances but at the same time they have key players on their team that come through in their role and they're why they're able to win you know what i'm saying like you know last year right steph played phenomenal basketball all series long but andrew wiggins was right there in terms of his role defensively being able to go get a basket and put up 16 or 15 make rebounds. Make it hurt even more gifted. Just make me hurt even more. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen. He said, oh. Like, yeah, I completely I forgot the Celtics are right there. Yeah. Yeah. I just, like, I feel like your team has such good roster construction. It's just a matter of the execution of it. For me, in my opinion... Um, I think Tatum has gotten better. Like, we did a entire film thread on him, 
And like we saw the improvements in his game, Derek, but it's like as the year progressed after February, his consistency kind of dipped, even though he was still, you know, putting up 30. Like he still shows that he has an impact to change the game when his shot is not falling. But the consistency of those performances when he's not efficient isn't always there. Like to me, if you are a superstar player, even if you don't shoot the ball well, I know consistently you will find a way to play make, bend the defense, all this and all that. Tatum has shown me that on the defensive side for sure. I agree with that. But in terms of being able to consistently put it together, that's what this postseason run for Boston to me is really for. And again, in a series of this magnitude against a 16 that A has not beaten the fraud allegation, number one. And number two, their superstar player also has questions. So to me, this is a very interesting matchup, especially seeing that we now get to see Joel Embiid on the court for the rest of this playoff series. Derek, I'm wondering. Are you listening? That's questionable, Derek. I hope this man plays basketball on Friday. Oh, he's questionable, yeah. Kiana. I, I, oh. I think I think he's playing. I, before before we 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 segue into Embiid, yeah. uh, my final point. I mean, I agree with basically everything you said, Kiana, in reference to Tatum. I think it's you know I was at the game in philly oh geez what was this like two months ago when tatum hits the game winner and it was forgotten he had a bad game i mean he just it was all over the place scoring wise he hasn't had a good game against y'all all year besides if you want to count the first half of game one right yeah no it's completely true and then you know that's the thing he stays with it he hits the game winner and it's like well shoot if that happens if you're a celtics fan all's forgotten who cares uh you get the dub but yeah, I just think Tatum. I, I think regardless of how you know, if you if the Celtics escape this round, I, I think it's very likely they're going to face the Heat um, in the next round, and then whoever they face, you know, theoretically in a Western uh, from the West in the finals. I just really worry or wonder, I should say, about his decision making the end of games um, because it's just you need that like superstar player to put it all together in crunch time. And I just think like, like you said, those the wildly unpredictable efficiency, I, I think is the only thing keeping away, keeping him out of bona fide superstar gifted remembers, you know, earlier this year, we did the superstar conversation and we went back and forth. I think I wanted Tatum in and he would be like the very bottom because I think there, you know, there's definitely some guys clearly ahead of him, at least for right now. Um, uh, but he was like on the outside looking in because we just didn't want to like we just couldn't give him the title necessarily, especially with last year's finals performance being fresh in everyone's minds, um, which again, like it was bad, but they did make the finals. And uh, aside from Steph going supernova, they were right there. I think a lot of people discredit like what the Celtics actually did in, in that series. So he's very close. I just think you need that last kind of like push. Um and that there's questions about that. And yes, there are questions about my player. And it kills me that we cannot ever have a fully healthy Joel Embiid to actually evaluate. It, 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 it kills me. Because if we lost this series and Embiid and the rest of the team is fully healthy, I can kind of go down on the sword okay. Like, I can I can be fine with that. If the Celtics are just a better team, of which I think they have, they're a better roster. Um, and I do think... Even though Rivers outcoached Missoula in game one, I still kind of think Missoula's a better coach. Um, but that could just be my, like, offensive bias. Like, Missoula's yeah, just a better I mean, offensive mind. I'm just, you know, just trying to see the rest of the playoffs before I can accurately judge Mr. That's Joe. fair. That's fair. He is still, like, a, a, an actual That's fair. Coach. That's fair. Yeah. But, yeah, in reference to Embiid, yeah. I mean, he can be questionable Friday. He's going to play. Uh, I wanted this man to miss this this past game um i was really hoping it's like look we stole one we did our job let this man rest his logic he said in his press conference was that like i want to get this out of the way kind of you know it's more about getting my feet and getting like nba cardio nba game cardio back that was a good idea which yeah like in that logic it makes sense yeah, it but makes then sense. it's but it's like he also only played i think like 27 28 minutes and we knew it wasn't going to be pretty. That wasn't the issue. It's just like the game got away from you so quick uh, for the team. 
So you're not even really playing the 37 to 39 minutes. You're probably going to have to play you know, later in the series. So, like, did he get his feet wet and back under him? Maybe, but I don't know that he's anywhere close to getting, like, that game, you know, balance back. Uh, and he's still hurt. I mean, at the end of the day, he's not going to be fully healthy, even if this thing goes seven. Like, that's just the sad truth of it. I wish I could say he would be, but this injury takes at least a month, and we don't have a month. So, you know, it, it, like, I'm hoping we get 90% of Joel uh, if this thing goes six or seven. I mean, I think he said after the game, I think he said like four to six weeks is what it's supposed to be. So, right. should, you know, but I think that I agree with him playing because it, at least he gets some run. I think if he doesn't play, how he looked yesterday is how he would look at home on Friday. Right. And I think, you know, he didn't play the full game, but at least you got out there. The team hasn't played with him in a little minute. Y'all can try to get acclimated, you know, back playing together. I don't know if if, – I don't think he was, like, running in practice with them. So, I think this is a good, like, feel-it-out game. Um, I think we were going to win regardless. So I think just get him out there, get him back running around, get him with the team. Therefore, he gets, you know, the jitters out or the the, the trial run out. And then Friday, you know, get his MVP award. And, you know, I think we'll see a better – he's still hurt, but I think we'll see a little bit of a better version of him. My biggest question with the Embiid domino, and I kind of said this, right? Like, I figured Boston would drop one game – Primarily because of the way that they dealt with Atlanta. Like, once a star player doesn't play, I feel like Boston is more susceptible to letting one go. But in game two, they handled their business to make up for it and they dominated. But my question is James Harden to me all year long has shown that in the nine and B minutes, he's more confident in himself being the guy to score and do more things. I feel like last game, he didn't know what quite to do with himself. He wasn't making the shots. He wasn't getting downhill uh, uh, as much. He just didn't seem like the same aggressive player. And to me, the reality where the Sixers beat the Celtics lies in Harden being a more aggressive version of himself with Joel Embiid in their two-man game. And I'm just not sure if, if Embiid's hampered and they're not going to run too much pick and roll because of you know his health what does that mean for Harden Derek yeah I mean look part of the reason I was so pessimistic about Harden and Embiid and that duo is to your point when Harden and Embiid share the floor it's very much their two-man action which normally the game starts with just Embiid post-ups so Harden can actually throw an entry pass which is cool a lot of like NBA cards can't do that anymore Um, but then Embiid goes to work and he's the decision maker, it's his play, and possession's pretty much just dictated by him. Then after like the first four to six possessions, then you get into actual pick and roll, and they've been the best pick and roll duo like by far this season. Like their efficiency is ridiculous. The hardness assists, we know what they are. Embiid, obviously, the scoring leader. Like it's cool. It's cool for the regular season. But my problem is to your point, Harden routinely will pass to Joel in these situations. And again, the regular season, it's cool because you can beat up on some bad teams that just straight up don't know what to do about Joel or have no answer. And Harden's like first and second option in those situations is to pass Joel in some regard. It's either like the behind the back and Joel goes for that midi or it's like a little lay down or dump off and Joel goes to finish at the cup. And in Boston, that's going to be really, or I should say against Boston, that's going to be really tough to do because Rob Will and Al Horford are going to be there waiting the entire time. And that's just tougher to do against like those two, as opposed to like Isaiah Jackson and like a Crystal Duarte rotating against the Pacers. Like you're not going to be able to get 40 nice and easy like that. Uh, So Harden not being aggressive enough, but also Really, he just isn't the finisher he used to be. I know he just went for 45. Seven of those were threes. And then at least seven other shots were mid-range shots. He was not finishing at the cup. And he I hasn't think he learned done that. From, that, from the Nets game, the, mm-hmm. where he just wasn't able to finish at the rim. It was nice to see him take the mini. Um, nice little 
book coming for you. Yeah, I, I completely agree. He really should have been doing it all year. I mean, I'm sure he would probably say something like, you know, he was just going to give Boston a different look and they didn't expect it. And they all went in. So it looked really, really good. I just think, especially later in the series, when everyone's legs are tired, it's going to get even harder because he takes everything's like moving or leaning. Like these aren't just floaters like Houston Harden or even, you know, Brooklyn Nets Harden had. He is like legitimately doing some fadeaways. And those shots are going to come up short a lot more um, because they do for everybody. So it really does concern me. And that's why, you know, I was so pessimistic on Harden. Um, And I'm also like a little pessimistic on the duo itself, because once Boston realizes it's going to go to Embiid, you know, three out of four times, four out of five times, they're just going to play up. And then so you take away Embiid's midi and just get under him from the jump. Now it's going to be harder because he has to put the ball on the floor. And that's when mistakes can happen and things get more physical. So, look, it's a daunting task. Uh, You you knew exactly what this series would be. I just hope they can adjust. Um, They just haven't given me a ton to believe that they will, given the success of what they did all regular season. Yeah, that's tough, man. I, I... I'm going to stick with my pick. Uh, I chose Boston in six games primarily because I questioned Harden's health and also Joel Embiid's availability. I thought that the Sixers would be able to get a game, but I just think Harden has to dial it up to a point to where he's looking for a shot a lot more, especially if Joel Embiid is going to be like this. And the consistency of that being enough to beat a Boston team is questionable. I think the one positive thing that they have going for them is the fact that they were able to beat them in a game where Boston had an excellent offensive game and they took advantages of their defense in certain spots. But maintaining that and upholding that for a full seven game series is the real question. And I'm just not sure if they will be able to do it. So, Derek, I do have Boston advancing. Sorry to say. No, it's it's all right. I, I get it. What did you have, Derek? I mean, look, as the an objective basketball viewer and self-proclaimed ball knower, I had Boston in seven. <laughs> um, as a fan, it's it's Philly in seven, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I kind of have to see how Embiid does at the two, the two games at home. Look, Sixers fans aren't going to be happy to hear this, but both games at home are must win. You, you can't go back to Boston 2-2. You, you just don't win the series. It's just it's not going to happen. Um, Boston has seen this before. What have you, you guys have been to what? Four Eastern Conference Finals? It, like with this most, you know, most of this crew, like at least Smart, Tatum, Brown. Last year, down 0 one to the Bucks. So this is something that they like to do, apparently. <laughs> yeah, maybe. And this is your theme. And this is like, these are good problems, uh, if that's the case. <laughs> Um, we know Boston's got, you know, the, you know, the overall record in the Embiid and Tatum and Brown era. So it's hard not to just pick ball, uh, pick Boston in the series. Um, I- I'm giving the Sixers a fighting chance. I-, I do think this is the best team we've had in this era. Uh, but I kind of alluded to it before. I mean, the rotation is going to be, it's going to have to be seven guys like very soon, uh, which isn't exactly helpful especially with the starters just getting crazy mileage. But it's going to be your starting five and then realistically like Melton and Reed. I would love to get McDaniel some spot minutes, but if his shot isn't falling and Boston does like, like that's just it. I mean, it's if someone picks up two quick fouls, McDaniels can come in, but I really don't want to see the minivan George Niang in the rest of the series. I mean, if he doesn't hit a three, like, three possessions in the minivan he is the minivan by the way Keanu. i didn't just make that, that is up. his actual nickname the minivan yeah there, there is merch uh I, I can i'm sure find a link if you're interested um but yeah if he doesn't give you a three in the first three possessions you're guaranteed to give up a bucket i mean there was a there was one possession probably like set like middle of the second quarter he checks in it's a brick and then the dude honestly looks like me on a bad day um getting back on defense and it led to a Jalen Brown corner three and it was nasty it was gross and it was like that was the turning of the tide because I think it gave him like a 13 point lead 
and that's why I knew that game was the game was wrapped. Um, so yeah, realistically, like Niang's probably not gonna play the rest of the series if you know Glenn can help himself. Um, but it's yeah, tough. Niang's minutes were bad. <laughs> the, no, yeah, exactly. But even like McDaniel's minutes aren't pretty, and then we got no one else behind. Where the it has Celtics to be a little bit more aggressive offensively. Right, but like the problem for him is I don't even know what that means because look, right. I love a George Niang drive to the basket as much as the next person because it's pretty goofy and when it goes in, it's amazing. It's an awesome highlight, but that's not going to happen against a Boston team. I mean, he's going to have like his matchups are basically JT and JB sometimes because the guards are sprinting around covering everyone else and he does not have a favorable matchup against either of those two. And if you're telling me he's trying to take Horford or Rob Will off the dribble, I mean, I'll salute his attempt. I'll salute the effort. But that that, that is ending with the ball in the stands. Um, so look, it, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. I need Melt to hit his shots. He doesn't have to give me five threes in a quarter like he did in game one, but he's he's got to give me enough. And then Reed is just there to buy and beat some time. But it, it's 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 a daunting task uh, to be sure. But I think it can be done. I think Maxi is going to grow a ton from this series, win or lose, which is really exciting. I know he had an inefficient first game, but I mean, he had some huge clutch possessions offensively and defensively in game one uh, that I, like really led to, you know, turning the tables. Um, so I really hope he can just kind of build off of that. Absolutely. Um Gotta say, this series is gonna be a series that I'm super invested in. Uh, every game, Jake, as you know, we have been doing a lot of basketball. Watch day in, day out, day in, day out. But this series, to me, almost crowns whoever is gonna come out of the East. I know how much of a threat that the Heat and Knicks can be, but I just feel like now these... people keep saying that, and I'm like, please don't. Listen, listen, listen. I I definitely feel that, Kiana. But objectively speaking. These two teams are the like most talented teams remaining in the playoffs. If Boston <laughs> makes it out, I don't think the Heat or the Knicks are going to be enough. But the point is like both teams have a lot at stake here because if you make it out of this series, your chances of going to the finals skyrocket seeing how there's not a Bucks team waiting for you on the other end. So, so both teams <laughs> I know, listen, I know Southern fans are mad because all year that. long they had to hear about the Bucks and Chris Middleton and, and Drew Holiday and, and all this and all that just for them to not even be there at the end to play them. But, hey, man, it is what it is. That's what these playoffs are about. Nothing is guaranteed. Roscoe Church is not guaranteed. You have to go out there and beat who's in front of you. And that's exactly what we're going to be able to see in this series. But if you're if you're a Sixers fan, this is everything. Because if you win this, you have a great, great chance at one, breaking the curse of being a perennial second round exit, and two, potentially making the finals as a sixer team. Like that means a lot for their franchise. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we are desperate to, you know, end this horrific streak we've been on. Um I think if yeah, I don't know. I'm I've said I've said to you before that losing this series kind of gets you the same result either way which is roster change a ton of questions uh from players coaching staff to the front office uh so it's really imperative um to to win this series i mean that's kind of the only way you secure a, a lot of uh jobs moving into next season but for Boston, I mean, this is just as serious. I mean, I, I, the obvious, of course, is you want to get to the finals. But if you were to lose to a team that is widely considered worse than you, and you have the expectation of actually capturing the Larry O'Brien trophy this year, you know, they've got just as much pressure where I feel like the only other team that has the same pressure is out West in Denver. I think everyone else, like we kind of talked about this, like no one else has the exact same pressure because they've kind of got like some... I don't want to say built-in excuses, but lower yeah. expectations. Like the Lakers flip their roster at the deadline, and no one ever wins a title when you flip your team that much. You like change four players. The Knicks are just happy to be here, straight up. The Heat are surprised they're here, and Jimmy's the only one that's going to tell you I'm, I'm not shocked. Um, and then 
you know, the Warriors, I get it. They just won the chip, but we know Golden State has not looked like Golden State that just won the trophy yeah. last year. I mean, yeah. they looked like they were in the Wembyama race if you watched only road games. So they're shocked that they're like they're in this position and they're going to be fighting for their lives against the Lakers. Um, so aside from Denver, it's really just Philly and Boston that have like these expectations. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's going to be absolutely brutal if this team goes, you know, the Sixers lose this series because uh, it's going to be nasty, nasty work. Uh, you know, Embiid's going to be fraudulent. I mean, hell, he's already called a fraudulent Ooh, he MVP. He already is, baby. He already is. He's, ar- he's already a fraudulent MVP, which is just absolutely disgusting. Um, Harden, you know, I mean, he'll never beat the fraud allegations uh, <laughs> if, if this series doesn't go his way. Um, Maxi is going to get Jordan Poole, co- uh, you know, comparisons, which is just gross. Uh, it, like, it's going to be nasty all around. And, I, and you know the worst part is I don't even think Glenn loses his job. Realistically, I mean Rivers is probably still going to be my coach next season, which I'm not in love with. Um, Brutal. I would I would love to get up out of here and catch Nick Nurse before he gets hired by Milwaukee or something. Um, but yeah, I mean that that's just it. Like it, it's it's going to be a hard fought bout, but yeah, a lot riding for Philly. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you guys for stopping by on the Get the Who's podcast. Uh, Make sure to follow Green Garden, passionate Celtics fans hosting their own spaces about their team. I will be popping in, in there a bit more now that I have a couple of weeks off of work coming up here. So make sure to, to tap in with them. Also, tap in with Kiana again, passionate Celtics fan, logical Celtics fan. I can't wait to see her reactions as the series progresses. And make sure to follow my boy Derek's uh, podcast, not just dribble. I'm happy. Had your back doing that. And we will also be getting back to hosting more locker room spaces as well. But my team plays tonight in 20 minutes, game two against wow. the Lakers. I'm I'm mm-hmm. I'm here. Okay. I'm not from running. Are y'all gonna get the split? I predicted that this would be like like a six to seven game series. I did think LA would take one. I do think Golden State will get the split, but I just have to see the foul discipline. And if they're going to be consistent with the turnovers, because that literally feeds what L.A. wants to do. But I hope they do. Um, Starting out two playoff series down 2-0 is just not a great look to start, especially against a team that just plays much better defense. So not great, but I do think we can get the split here. So I'm a root for that. But any closing remarks for this episode of the Get The Who's podcast? I just want to get my pick. Um, cause y'all gave y'all, so of course I'm picking the Celtics, but, um, I have Celtics in six. Um, and just give me the extra I, game. The what? I said, just give me the extra game, please. Let's just make it seven. We all <laughs> no, got seven. I have it in six and uh. I think that we win to a Philly. I think we drop game five at home, um, and win game six in Philly. That's how I feel. Oh, that's nasty. Okay. Mm. Uh, no, I mean... Joking aside, uh, yeah, I mean, I still have to fall on the sword here. I'm, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say Philly in seven. Uh, we, you know, we're gonna like Harden already shocked yeah, me. The okay. team, team already shocked me. Yeah, so I, I just, I need a hard fought series. Uh, if we get a repeat of Game Two, um, I don't know. I'm not gonna wave a white flag, but it, it's gonna be, it's gonna be gross. Um, you'll get. Game four, you'll get a repeat of game two. If game three, they crap the bed. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, that, I don't, I don't I mean, need that, that. That's the only thing that seems to get them to play that for 48 minutes is them to completely collapse. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm just, I, I really think game two, I, I do believe it was kind of an anomaly. I, I think like we could still definitely lose games, but not that way where everyone yeah, forgets how to shoot. Sure, no. Like, I, I think. Should be more like we can get, than that. Yeah, we can get messy, but people are going to make their shots. I think that was just a terrible we're in Boston, and we all just kind of left our shots on the bus. I don't think it's going to stay that way. Uh, but yeah, I know. I, I mean, I appreciate the uh, appearance gifted. Uh, absolutely. Everyone, please follow Kiana. I mean, you. I think you were... I would say you and maybe like Nat on Twitter are like the best to talk to as far as Boston fans go. I appreciate our conversations. Uh, it's, you know, e- even with the even with our respective agendas, it's never nasty. We can actually <laughs> talk ball. Um, 
you don't call him beat a fat slob so it's fantastic um it's I great yeah the actually the um there's a twitter community it's called the green garden and the page there's actually a, a twitter page as well um it's the green garden but the the is th two e's um, and you can follow. We're trying to do more spaces. We've done spaces pre-game for the first two games. Um, and we're trying to start to do pre- and post-game spaces. So if y'all want to tap in, if you're stuck fans, um, we would also love to have Philly fans come in so we can hear both sides. Um, please follow the page. That would be greatly appreciated. Absolutely. Both of their links will be in the description. Appreciate everyone who made it this far. Um, I'm working on getting this podcast available on, on iTunes as well. But they're trying to hold me. We're going to get there, though, okay? We're going to figure it out. But I'll catch you guys in the next episode. Uh, pray for a Warriors win tonight or just good competitive basketball. And as always, appreciate basketball, people. Peace. Bye. Peace.